The NBA draft came and went, and we have plenty of questions about which teams did well, where our Zags landed, and a look ahead to this upcoming season right here on Mailbag Monday on your Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more odds, more props, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day as we get towards the very end of the month of June and into July and a bit of the slower part of the season. I appreciate all of you who have continued to check out the show. Of course, those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube as well. If you have not done so, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, find and hit that subscribe button. All right, today is Mailbag Monday. We got a lot of great questions to go over today. This is just a reminder for many of you who have not been involved in Mailbag Monday. It is very, very simple to do so. You can just tweet at me at scorezagscore whenever you are thinking of a question. Helps if you tag it Mailbag Monday. Even if you don't, I'll probably toss it in the notes and get it ready for the next week's show. You can also respond to a tweet that I will put out on Sunday mornings, soliciting questions to go up for Mailbag Monday. And finally, you can email me at andypatton013 at gmail.com. Whenever you are thinking of a question, you can send multiple questions that way. Uh, It's a good way to get a lot of questions or thoughts fleshed out onto the screen. All right, we're going to move straight through this today. First question comes... From Theodore, excuse me, via Gmail, Theodore says, It seems like some Zag fans have begun criticizing Mark Few. I noticed people commenting concerns about his play style in your comment sections, and you discussed a similar topic on the Locked On Baylor podcast. People complain about his rotations, inability to win a championship, or lack of physical or athletic players. Do you think these criticisms are valid, and do you think Few will make adjustments to his game this season? Theodore, I got news for you. People have been, and specifically Zag fans, have been complaining and criticizing Mark Few forever. This is not a new thing whatsoever. I also... Take take comments in comment sections with a pretty significant grain of salt. Many of you comment very nice things or very constructive things, but uh, the comment sections are comment sections for a reason. They have the reputation that they have for a reason, so I wouldn't read too far into that. It's not a recipe for healthy mental living, let's put it that way. Uh, in regards to these specific complaints, uh, I think rotations are something that I have criticized Mark, Mark Few for in the past either being too stingy with the rotations, being too inflexible to to make adjustments in the middle of games. That's something that I think he has improved dramatically. I think that's something that early in my time being a Gonzaga fan around the turn of the 2008-2015, that kind of range of time, I think he improved pretty dramatically in that area where we weren't seeing a lot of in-game adjustments. We weren't seeing a lot of flexibility with, with that regard, and I think that has improved 
quite dramatically. I do think there is still some room to grow. I don't think any coach is perfect at this, and any coach who tells you that their rotations are perfect is lying to you. So I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, that there's still some room for growth there. But uh, the other stuff, uh, the inability to win a championship is to hogwash. Uh, it's just something that all coaches hear that until they win a championship. You, you are told you are not good enough to win a championship until you do. Jay Wright was told that. Mike Krzyzewski was told that. He went to the finals four times before he actually won a championship. All of these coaches have heard this at time, and you kind of you have to wear it until you actually win a championship. So I'm not concerned about that one. The physical athletic players, that has changed so dramatically uh, to the point where it's just comical to hear that. Yes, Chet Holmgren drew a lot of criticism because of his frame and his size, but clearly he could handle physicality. Some of Gonzaga's guards have trouble with physicality in the past, and certainly in the Baylor conversation, that was a relevant topic because that was how Baylor was able to defeat Gonzaga. But I think for the most part, a lot of these criticisms are not, I don't want to say invalid, but are just parroted talking points that people have continued to use to to complain about Mark Few and Gonzaga for, for years and years and years. And they just don't tend to go away even when there actually are shifts on the basketball court. Uh, I do think that there are some adjustments that Mark Few could make that would potentially make things a little bit easier. I, I think being more flexible with rotations, being more willing to play a deeper rotation or, or change things up earlier in games would be nice to see. Do I think he's going to make those adjustments? Probably not. We haven't seen... Mark Few's had a ton of success over the last decade. I, I don't see a lot of reasons for him to make dramatic changes to the way that he coaches basketball. Next question comes from Jeff at Gmail. Jeff says... Who had the better one-and-done basketball season at Gonzaga? Chet Holmgren, Jalen Suggs, or Zach Collins? So for me, it's definitely between Suggs and Holmgren. Uh, Zach obviously played less minutes than either of the other two uh, and was not nearly as impactful of a player. I'm actually going to lean Suggs here. Suggs certainly would look better statistically, more points per game, uh, played more minutes, led a team into the championship game, whereas Chet Holmgren's team obviously did not make it that far. Uh Suggs was the sixth ranked prospect in his class, ended up getting drafted number five. Uh, Chet was the number two or number one prospect in his class, got drafted number two overall. Not that that necessarily matters, but I do think that Suggs probably did a little bit more with his season in terms of boosting his stock and his national attention than Chet Holmgren did, although Chet was as advertised. I don't think that Chet was a disappointment at Gonzaga at all. I want to be very, very clear about that, but I do think that Suggs probably had a little bit more of an impact in his season compared to what was expected of him than Chet Holmgren did. So I'm going to lean Suggs, especially when you consider that he had a integral, integral part of this team making it all the way to the national championship game. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, any change of mind or heart on your answer to the question about what Zag in the NBA will win a championship first? Yeah, absolutely, because I answered that question by saying Andrew Nembhard because I did not expect that Andrew Nembhard was going to go to the Indiana Pacers with the first pick in the second round of the NBA draft. I don't think that's a terrible fit for Nembhard. I talked about that on Friday's podcast. I also don't know that it is a great fit for Nembhard, and I'd kind of envisioned him being in a situation where he ends up being a backup or a third-string point guard on a team that is chasing a title, team like Golden State, team like Denver, team like Memphis, somewhere in there, ends up going to Indiana, a team that is not necessarily in that competitive window right now. So and let, if he stays with Indiana, his odds of winning a championship in the next couple of years are pretty slim. So it's going to look like it's probably going to be somebody else from 
another team in Gonzaga. Brandon Clark is is probably my pick right now. I think Memphis still needs to do some work to put some pieces together to put to to have a legitimate chance at dethroning Golden State and getting past Denver and some of the other high profile teams in the Western Conference. But I think Clark's going to be sticking around Memphis for a while if they end up finding a way to get him signed to an extension. And I think there's a reasonable chance that that works out there. Kelly O is is another option here, not necessarily in Detroit, but I do think he could get traded to a situation where he he ends up on the bench for a really, really good team, could get traded to a team like Golden State or Boston again or somebody else who has a chance to really compete for a national title. And then, of course, it's really hard to know with guys like Joel Iyayi, like where is he going to end up? He's going to have to stick on a roster in order to win himself an NBA championship. But there's a rich history of Gonzaga players playing very little and earning themselves NBA championships. Austin Day, Adam Morrison, very prominent examples of that. So perhaps... Joel could find a way to sneak onto one of those rosters as well. Final question from the first segment comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, The PK85 early season tournament in Portland is looking pretty awesome. Could the PK85 be the best early season tournament Gonzaga has ever participated in? Sure looks like it might be the case. With the team Gonzaga will have for 22-23, Gonzaga could legitimately be a favorite to win, even with the likes of Duke, Michigan State, Villanova, Purdue, and others participating. What do you think? Yeah, I think Gonzaga is going to start the season as the number one or number two ranked team in the entire country. So yeah, I think they're going to be favored to win this tournament. If, if you favor them as the best team in the country, it's hard to not think that they're going to be most likely to win basically every single game that they play. Now, PK-85 is not going to be an easy tournament at all. I don't think Gonzaga is going to breeze through it, and I don't think it's necessarily likely that they're going to win it. I think it's going to be really, really hard with the amount of teams that are in it. It kind of depends on the draw. It certainly depends on how Gonzaga's you know team is playing together. I think the fact that they have so much cohesiveness as a unit because they're returning so many players... You know, you have your primary newcomers and Efton Reed is going to play big minutes. Malachi Smith is going to play big minutes. But outside of that, most of the guys on this roster are dudes who have already played together. Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, Rasir Bolton, Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, Anton Watson. It's a lot of guys who have that unity. And in this tournament, and again, I haven't done a deep dive on the 15 other teams that are in here necessarily, but you are going to see a lot of teams that are very, very good, but don't have as much of that unity that cohesion duke is going to have a lot of new players on this team you know so purdue is going to have to replace some really talented players uh, that they lost in the in the nba draft process like Jaden ivy so is gonzaga going to be favored in that probably are they going to win it i'm not sure it sort of depends how things kind of shake out early in the season but gonzaga is going to be one of the top three top two ranked teams in the country by the time this game rolls around and i think there's a really good chance that they win it We're going to come back in the second segment, and we're going to take a look at more Zags questions, more NBA draft questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
All right, segment two, still in Patton, still locked on Zag, still hammering through Mailbag Monday questions here at the end of June. This next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, does the number of players a conference has selected in the NBA draft add to the conference's perceived and or actual strength? Uh, perceived, yes. I think people take that very, very seriously. Uh, reality, no, I don't really think so. I, I think it's just a, a one-year snapshot of a pretty specific topic category. Like, yes, obviously one of the goals for college basketball programs is to turn players into NBA players. And players getting drafted, and particularly players getting drafted high in the draft, certainly helps your program's prestige, and so then indirectly would help your conference's prestige. But I just don't think, I mean, we look at the numbers for this last year, I just don't think that it's necessarily all that indicative of anything. The ACC had seven players selected, but most of them came from Duke. The rest of the ACC wasn't all that good last year. The Pac-12 had six, but the Pac-12, three of those came from Arizona. Most of them were second rounders. Jabari Walker was the second to last player picked in the draft. Like, he could have very easily been undrafted. Uh, The Big East had one, but that's because they had a lot of players return to college. This was a similar situation with the WCC, which very easily could have had five uh, if Julian Strother had stayed in the draft. Uh, So it's just just one of those things that I, I don't think... It matters all that much in terms of like how prestigious the conference is, how and even how good the conference was at basketball the past year, because now especially we're seeing so many high profile stars return to college. You know, we saw Julian Stroth, we saw Drew Timmy, both guys who could have conceivably been drafted. We saw them come back to campus. We saw a ton of other really good players across the country decide to return to school. And so I just don't think that a year-to-year snapshot of which, where each player who was drafted came from conference-wise, I don't think it says nothing, obviously. There was nobody drafted from the WAC, and there was, what, ten guys dra- nine guys drafted from the Big Ten. Big Ten better than the WAC? Yes. I mean, I think that you can, you can infer some things from it, but just I don't think that on a granular basis it really means all of that much. Next question comes from Jeff. Jeff says, There are 11 Gonzaga basketball players who left Gonzaga early to play in the NBA before their eligibility expired. If you had a team of those 11, who would you start and who would come off the bench? Yeah, this is going to be a really darn good basketball team for starters. Uh, The starting lineup for me would be Chet Holmgren at the five or uh, probably at the four, I guess. Brandon Clark would play the five. He kind of can mix and match those two guys there. Adam Morrison playing the three. And then your two-point guard lineup of Jalen Suggs and Nigel Williams-Goss. Uh, if I were doing an eight-man rotation, I think my other three there would be Kelly Olynyk, Rui Hachimura, and Joel Ayayi filling out the rotation there. And your final three players, with no disrespect to them, but they would be out of this rotation, would be Zach Collins, Austin Day, and Zach Norvell. All right, next question comes from Christian again. Christian says, I heard a stat that 25% of the NBA's minutes last season were played by undrafted players. Now, this could be in part to do with COVID protocols, etc. Commissioner Adam Silver gave a shout-out to the G League for providing players a step-up and keeping the NBA season going. Is this a transient stat related to the COVID era, or is it a good sign for players like Joel Oyayi and USF's Jamari Bouye? Yeah, I think it's a good sign. Uh, 25% of the minutes is, is a pretty solid number, but of course you figure there's two rounds of NBA draft every single year, and there's 12 players on an NBA roster every single year. Most teams run 9 or 10 deep rotation-wise. So it's not surprising that a good chunk of the minutes are played by guys who are undrafted because there's just not enough players getting drafted every single year to fill out NBA rosters. I do think that the G League definitely helps guys who 
in years past may have otherwise gone over to Europe or just ended their playing careers early when they may have had opportunities to work their way back into the NBA via the G League. We've seen that happen quite a bit in recent years with some of some of the more significant players in the NBA, like really good rotation players on very good teams, are guys who are coming through the G League ranks after going undrafted out of college. Uh, so I think that's a great sign for guys like Joel Eyei and Jamari Bouye. I think those two players in particular have things that they need to improve upon. Jamari Bouye is unfortunately undersized, which is a really, really, you can't, you can't really do a whole lot to fix that, unfortunately. But I do think that he has NBA-level skill sets. I think Joel Eyei has a litany of NBA-level skill sets. He just doesn't do any one thing so particularly well that he has to be on an NBA roster. But I do think both those guys could find their way into NBA rotations at some point in their careers. May not happen this year, but again, that's the nice thing about the G League, about those opportunities as you're kind of right close by in case somebody in the league needs you. All right, final question. The segment comes from the former host of the Locked On Zags podcast, Stephen Carr, at SCARGO on Twitter. He says, if you're in charge of taking the team on their next team retreat, where are you taking them? So one area that I thought of, this is kind of the first place that popped in my head and I kind of talked myself really into it, is Wallawa Lake in Oregon. Uh, For those who have not been, it is a pretty quiet area. It's not a super publicized destination, but it is in eastern Oregon, so it's not horribly far from Spokane. It is in a little town called Joseph, and it is just beautiful out there. The lake is pristine. There's mountains nearby. There's a bunch of hiking trails. You can take a gondola ride up and have beautiful views of the whole area. Uh, It's a reflective place. It's quiet. Again, it's not horribly far from Spokane. There's a ton of activities you could do, team building stuff, all of that. I think it would be a great destination for a team in Spokane or a team in Pullman potentially uh, to take their kids and kind of have like a relaxing but motivating team retreat type event. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment and answer even more listener-submitted questions. All right, segment three, Andy Patton here, still listening to the Locked On Zags podcast. Still got a couple more questions here for Mailbag Monday as the offseason rolls on. This next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, could Gonzaga women's basketball earn a top four seed in the 2023 NCAA women's tournament? Or is that asking too much given what Gonzaga lost with the likes of Sierra Walker and others from the 21-22 team? Yeah, I think it's hard for me to see a team move that far forward considering they didn't the roster hasn't changed all that dramatically. Now again, having team cohesion is, is helpful and having a lot of really good players return to the roster is going to make them better. I think they're going to be in really good shape. I think they added Bryn Maxwell out of Utah. She's a very, very good transfer prospect for them. Uh, But yeah, I think she's kind of more of just a direct replacement for Sierra Walker. So the roster looks fairly similar heading into next year. That does not mean that Coach Fortier and the staff cannot get more out of some of these players. Some of the younger players on last year's roster are going to develop and be in better positions to contribute this year. Uh, But I do think that that's asking quite a lot for them to jump all the way into being a top four seed in the NCAA Women's Tournament. But I'm also not going to say that it's not possible. It's absolutely possible for this program. It's just going to take some players having pretty significant breakout seasons. All right, next question from Christian. Christian says, what three teams do you think had the best drafts? And in three to five seasons, what team do you think will be the biggest winner from this year's draft? So the three teams that I absolutely love their draft, uh, Houston, Detroit, and San Antonio. Uh, Houston, of course, had the uh, advantage of getting Jabari Smith to fall to them at number three overall. So adding a talent like Jabari Smith is outstanding. They also used the 17th pick 
to draft Tari Eason out of LSU. He's a prospect that I liked a lot, that I really wanted the Portland Trailblazers to take. A defensive-minded, hard-nosed power forward fits in well with what they already have on the roster. Not a great offensive player, but I think that's fine with the fact that they have a lot of other scores on that roster already. And then they use the second-to-last pick in the first round on Ty Ty Washington, the point guard out of Kentucky. I think that's a really nice fit there as well. He's not a lot of pressure on him to contribute right away. He can kind of develop in Houston's system and end up contributing down the line. Uh, Detroit got Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran with two of their first picks in the lottery. Jaden Ivey falling to them at number five overall is fantastic. He, him and Cade Cunningham is going to wreak havoc in the backcourt in the Eastern Conference. And Jalen Duran is a perfect lob threat for both of those guys. And then San Antonio took Jeremy Sochan out of Baylor. Malachi Branham and Blake Wesley also in the first round. Just three really talented scoring players. And I think that they're going to have a really big impact. San Antonio develops players extremely well. So I think this is a nice fit for them. And in three to five seasons, I think it really depends on what happens with WCC product Jalen Williams, but I think Oklahoma City could look very good for this draft in a couple of years. Of course, Chet Holmgren at number two overall is a guy that we believe is going to be a star player in the NBA. I think it's going to take him a little bit of time. He's only 19 years old, but in three years when he's 22, 23, we're going to start seeing glimpses of him being like a really, really good player. And if Jalen Williams the WCC Santa Clara version, or Jalen Williams, the Arkansas version, both on Oklahoma City. If either of those players reach a lofty ceiling, then I think that this team could be in really good shape in a couple of years out of this draft. All right, next question from Jeff. Jeff says, what do you think of the Trung Sisters' summer of basketball in Vietnam? No doubt Vietnam is fairly low on the rankings of international basketball teams, but they did seem to adapt to a significantly different environment pretty quickly. By all accounts, they seem to have performed pretty well, so perhaps this increases confidence in what Gonzaga's women's basketball team could accomplish in the next season. Yeah, certainly I think stuff like this definitely helps. I think getting to go overseas, play in front of a really lively fan base, the, the fans in Vietnam loved these two. I, they've so many comments on my YouTube video that had a, some quotes from them. So many people who just revered these two girls and their ability to contribute to the to the team over in Vietnam. So I'm, I'm really excited about them uh, and what they were able to accomplish over there. I, I definitely think it helps make them better. It helps make the women's basketball program better at Gonzaga. Do I think that that alone is enough to to leap them, you know, significantly? No, not necessarily, in part because the Trunk Twins were, were really good last year. It's not like they weren't big contributors to the program already. They were already big-time contributors, starting point guard, scoring double-digit points per game. This is a really good—these are really good women on this basketball team already, and I don't think that them going and playing in, playing in Vietnam is going to dramatically improve their performance because it was already very good. So that's kind of where I'm at with this, but I think that for them, the opportunity to go to Vietnam, to play there, to play in front of the fan base was extraordinary, and they talked about how much they loved it on that podcast. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't yet. Final question of the show comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says... Who is your sleeper team in the draft? A team who not a lot of experts might be talking about, but had a great draft. And who is a pick that was selected late in the first round or in the second round that will have a bigger impact than expected? So I think my sleeper team is Memphis. That's a bit cheesy because Memphis seems to always be kind of a, a sleeper team in the sense that they develop young prospects very well. They have kind of a style in the draft. They draft older prospects who 
maybe fell in the draft for a variety of reasons. Brandon Clark is, of course, a very notable example of that from Gonzaga. Desmond Bain out of Texas Christian was another recent example of that. And this year they did a lot of similar things. Jake LaRavia out of Wake Forest was their first pick. David Roddy out of Colorado State, a really good basketball player, but who has a unique size, unique body frame that kind of had him not be really high on the radar. Kennedy Chandler out of Tennessee, really, really good point guard, but he's only six feet tall. Uh, They took Vince Williams out of VCU as well. Not getting a ton of love for these picks, but again, Memphis has done this in the past and has had a lot of success. So I'm inclined to bet on their front office to turn at least two, maybe three of these guys into overperforming NBA players. And then a pick that I really liked, Christian Coloco out of Arizona, the Wildcats, Tommy Lloyd squad. He went number 33 overall to Toronto. This is a great fit. Toronto develops players very, very well. They needed a player with his specific skill set. He doesn't have, you know, the outside shooting abilities that you kind of hope for in modern big men, but he's a low post scorer and he's a very, very good rim protector and rebounder. And I think he's going to thrive in Toronto. All right, that is going to do it for me today, and we have a ton more coming up later this week. It's going to be a fantastic week on the Locked On Zags podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, available on YouTube as well. Check it out there if you haven't done so yet. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.